Hello everyone, welcome to another new episode of Fuming, the Fragrance Podcast. I'm your podcast host, Reese Pickering, and each episode I'll be joined by a special guest who will help navigate us through the world of fragrance, from traceability and sustainability in raw materials, to how perfumes are formulated and how they can change the world. It's the podcast that will help you understand more about fragrance and its place in our world, how it's changing the world. Ultimately, we want you listeners to learn more about fragrance and try things out at home, but we're also here to have a laugh and take you away from the everyday too. So sit back and relax and take some time to learn about fragrance. I am here today with perfumer Eleanor Amelie Bayer. I totally got that wrong. I did it the wrong way around. Yeah. Yeah, Eleonore Paya, Amirli. Oh my gosh, I'll try that again. So today's episode, I have a very special guest. We have perfumer Eleonore Paya, who will be talking us through the fragrance pyramid, which in effect is the structuring of a perfume. So how perfumes are created, how they develop on the skin, and really getting more detail around how fragrances work. So, Eleanor, to save us the embarrassment, I won't try and pronounce your name again. I'll just say Eleanor, <laughs> which is a wonderful name. Thank you. And yes, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? And how did you get into perfumery? What's your story, Eleanor? Okay, so I'm a 27 years old perfumer. I'm actually a junior perfumer in a company in Spain right now. So that means I'm being trained by the uh, senior perfumer in the company. And I always liked plants. I always been a geek for plants, and that's why I I went to more natural perfumery. So my training, I did uh, a year of pharmacy, then I did chemistry, and afterwards I managed to enter into the École Supérieure du Parfum in Paris. So that's one of the few schools that you can go into to be trained to become a perfumer. And after one year and a half. Uh, in the company I've been with now, I'm learned to make bespoke perfumes. I also do workshops, classes. I also do classes online now. And yeah, <laughs> that's me. Oh wow! Okay, so we we have a lot there that I wanna I wanna deconstruct with you a little. Okay, so uh, could you explain a little bit? To myself also, and the listeners, could you tell us the difference between a junior perfumer such as yourself and a senior perfumer, and how does that working relationship happen? What happens in that process? Okay, so uh, classically in the perfume industry, you start as a perfumer trainee, so that means you are not here to start making perfume directly, you are being trained by a senior perfumer. So a senior perfumer is someone that has at least... 10 to 20 years of experience, he's the one that really is trained and really knows his work. After a few months or years, depending on each person, you can become a junior perfumer. So that means you have your first brief. Okay. A brief is like they tell you what to do and you have to create a perfume. 
And if you win the brief, if the client is happy with what you make, you become a junior perfumer. So you have the right to make perfume for the brands as yourself, as your own name. And you keep being a junior perfumer until you have 10 years of experience. How nerve-wracking was it when you got that first brief? Um, <laughs> very nerve-wracking. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I didn't even believe I had a brief at first. So, yeah, it was it was a very, very happy time and fun experience. And actually, I managed to have my first brief after at the end of my internship, I did. So at, after four months only. So I was very happy. Gosh, so they, they threw you in the deep end. You didn't know you had a brief. They just kind of... Yeah, they, they threw me into lava. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And could you tell us a bit about it? Like, I'm really curious how that that first brief, what did you do? Are you allowed to say what you did or? Not really, because I'm not allowed to sign by my name yet. So just, yeah, they gave me a brief. They were happy with my work. They sell the perfume now. I'm happy. Yeah. Oh, wow. Fantastic. So you've got you've got perfumes out there that are, that are in the commercial market. Mm. They started with uh, limited editions Yeah. for the brand. Because the brand I work with, they have their own in-house perfumer. We don't work for other brands. We work for other companies. That means we make perfume for them, but we don't take brief from them. It's a weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very new to this industry. As, as you know, for the listeners out there, me and Eleanor actually met over Instagram. And this is where uh, Instagram is a very good platform for perfumers. Mm and perfume enthusiasts, hobbyists and such, mm. uh, such as myself who is learning about fragrance. And it, it's interesting to know how the industry works because there's a lot of parts of the fragrance industry in which isn't usually available to the public eye also, you know, because I still mm. can't remember the name of the chap's book, but I have to find it out. Uh, a year in the fragrance industry. People are probably shouting at this podcast now knowing the name of the author, but <laughs> he talks very much about how perfumers jokingly are sort of kept in a dark room sometimes out of out of view but it's interesting Chandler Burr maybe? yes Chandler Burr that's the name thank you Eleanor Chandler Burr a very good book I believe it's A Year in the Fragrance Industry by Chandler Burr mm. who is a, a scent critic leading through as well onto what we'll be discussing today in the Fragrance Pyramid what brought you to specialize in uh, natural fragrances as opposed to synthetic materials okay so just as I told you before, it was because I really like plants. It's something I really, yeah, I feel I'm very into uh, the biology of plants. Yeah. And I really like it. And I always like to smell things. Yeah. <laughs> like that seems kind of obvious, but not everyone is keen of the sense of smelling. And also when I started school, natural is not something we use a lot because it's expensive. It's very hard to work with. But I did feel more attracted to the way it works. It feels, yeah. it felt more natural in a way for me to work with natural vegetal raw, raw materials rather than synthetic. I like more how they works. Some people are more attracted to synthetic, and natural perfumery it's a little bit different. Synthetic is more like working with Legos. You have brick by brick, and you buy the house. And the natural one is like you already have a house and you have to build a whole village. But <laughs> yeah, it's really, it really depends on the affinity of each person and each perfumer. And you can also mix both. And it, you can, yeah, it's just how you feel it and what the client asks you also. 
your analogies are some of the greatest things I've heard in perfume whilst I've been learning about this. I really want to hear about the raw materials characters analogy you said as well, because that was so funny. And for those listening now, my gosh, this probably won't be out for maybe a week, but it's hot today. It is so hot. And I know, Eleanor, you were saying 20 degrees is kind of baby talk. You know, you're sat in 45 degrees over there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, today it's only 38. So it's okay. Oh, 38. (laughs) Fuck. I'm I'm sat in, you know, practically like a broom cupboard at my parents' house with toys all around me. So I'm glad you guys can't see where I am right now. I I feel like I'm in a in a cupboard. Um, (laughs) So let's get right into it. Eleanor, I will let you lead the way. So the topic of today's podcast is the fragrance pyramid. Eleanor, blow us away with your with your knowledge on this. Okay. So the fragrance pyramid, or olfactive pyramid, you can see both, uh, is a theoretical tool that perfumers use to build a perfume. So the pyramid helps us to understand the structure and evaporation of a perfume. So in a pyramid, you have the top note, the half note, and the base notes. The theory behind the pyramid is that each ingredient, synthetic or natural, we don't really care here, they all have a different volatility. That means the size of the molecules inside have different weights, and that means they evaporate in a different path, in a different uh, speed. So the lighter molecules, the ones that leave the perfume faster, are the top notes. And they are typically the citruses, the green notes, the marine, and the spicy ones. They really help to freshen the perfume, and they're also the one that grabs you when you buy a perfume. They're the one that really grabs your attention and makes you want to smell more or at least buy it. There is, we say in perfumery that the choice to buy a perfume is made within three minutes of spraying it. Wow. So it's something very fast and it's something very hard to work with. And usually the top notes are the one, are the one that really makes you mad as a perfumer to work with <laughs> because you really have to grab the attention. Maybe you have something wonderful in the heart and base, but the top note is always very difficult to work with. And that's one of the first um, thing you have to think of. What do I want to do with the top notes? Also, it's important to know that naturally the fresh aspect of the perfume won't last because they're very volatile. They, la- they live fast. That's what they do. And you have them from five minutes to up to two hours. So that's normal if you, a cologne won't last on you. It's normal. Yeah. That's what they do. They're here to freshen you up and they leave. Then you have the hot notes. So they are usually the soul and the personality of the perfume. And classically, they are made from the floral, aromatic and fruity families. And they can last between 15 to five minutes. And then you have the base notes. So the base notes are the more long-lasting, heavy ones. And usually the musk, the wood, amber, balsamic, so resins, incense, for example. And they're the one to fix and make the perfume stick to your skin. And they also help bring balance to it. And then, as an important note, depending on the olfactive family of of each part, top, heart, and base, you will have different proportions. It's not a third, a third, and a third. Depending on which olfactive family you're going for for the perfume. 
you're going to have different proportions. For a colon, for example, as I told you just before, maybe you will have more than half top notes, a little bit of heart, and a little bit of bass. You don't want to make it heavy. You want it to be fresh. Yeah. For an oriental perfume, a little bit of top notes, a beautiful floral heart in, in general, and a heavy base with the amber, the vanilla, for example. And not all ingredients work the same. It's not just... Usually people are very surprised with that. It's not like I put a third of lemon, a third of rose, and a third of vanilla, and I have a wonderful perfume. Maybe it smells nice. <laughs> but each ingredient have their own characteristic and their own personality, in a way. So as I like to tell, the, the geranium, usually people really use it to change from the rose because rose is very expensive. And geranium, yeah, it's aromatic, it's rosy, it's fresh, and... It has a very nasty personality. It's like a very cute child who cries a lot when you put it with others. So be careful with geranium if you use it. And as another one who people really know, vanilla. You know vanilla. Even if you know the synthetic part of it, the vanillin, vanilla, it's more of an introvert. You recognize it alone. But when you put it with others, you have to push it to be smelled. Otherwise, you'll just have the rounding effect of the vanilla, so more a technical effect. And also, that's something important. You have smelling ingredients are here to be smelled, and other ones are here to be more technical. So fix the perfume, make it rounder, make it spicier, make it fresher, whatever. You don't have to smell something in a perfume. Maybe you just have the effect of it. Like very typically, the menthol, the mint, mm. is here to make you... It doesn't really have a smell, but it has more effect yeah. into the nose. You feel the freshness. So, yeah. So, before I break this part, lovely part down, how you just put things, me and Eleanor had a call the other day, and fucking hell, this analogy of materials and, you know, like geranium being a spoiled little <laughs> child and vanilla being very introverted, I thought that was so lovely, and I really wanted this to be conveyed in the podcast because... I thought that was wonderful. Actually laying in bed last night, I forgot to tell you this, Eleanor, and I was imagining these characters, <laughs> these naturals and which characters are what they would look like. You know, uh, like oak moss would be this probably really beautiful forest nymph or yeah. something. I, I don't know. I started getting carried away in my head. Um, it's probably from the heat. I was fairly exhausted. For me, oak moss is like a grandpa that has a, lo a lot of <laughs> lovely stories to tell. Yeah. But like a very... It looks grumpy, but he's nice. Like the up grandpa. <laughs> yeah, I imagine it like that. Yeah. He's quite a calming granddad. You know, he's got a few good stories. He's been, he's been around for a long time. Yeah. You know, very knowledgeable. But that's um, out of my yard, you know, kind of grandpa too. <laughs> <laughs> Take your shit, get out my yard. Um, yeah, so breaking down from how you just put that with the theory behind fragrance... I don't know if this is still true, and I don't know if you're able to comment on this too, regarding the volatility of molecules, but mm. I read somewhere that many, many, many years ago, scientists believed that the olfactory bulb wasn't able to process certain molecules. Say, as you were saying, your top note is very light, they're very small, fleeting molecules, uh, your heart notes are a little bit bigger, and then the bass, etc., I read somewhere that they develop over time and we can smell them over time because the molecules were then big enough to fit into our olfactory bulb. They actually believed that the molecules couldn't fit in your olfactory bulb, which 
for the listeners out there is the part in your brain which does have those tiny holes. Yeah, it's inside your nose. Yeah. Actually, there is different theories of how the olfactory sense work. Okay. So there is the shape theory. That, so that's a molecule that have exactly the shape of the receptor. So you smell something. Yeah, this is what And I then thought. you have a more modern theory that is not debunked, but is not validated either. The shape theory is not validated either. Yeah. We don't really know how it works. And that's the Lucas Turin, Lucas Turin theory, where it's by vibration, like if our noses were like chromatographs. Ah. So the vibration of the molecules makes the smell. And actually, there is a very beautiful theory with that, where he, yeah, he makes an analysis of the vibration of the molecule. It's not, a very, it's not something very weird. It's a very scientific thing. And for the coumarin, coumarin can be dangerous in some perfume. You have to be careful. Yeah. And he took the vibration of the coumarin, and then he found another molecule with a totally different shape that had a very similar vibration, and he made it smell it to perfumers, and perfumers thought it was coumarin. So that's why the theory is becoming more and more popular nowadays. Wow. So it will be more of a, a vibrational thing. <laughs> yeah, I think those are all wonderful, wonderful approaches, and thank you so much for explaining that too, because I think that's a really important element of the structures of perfume as well. The way in which you can use different mediums, so... I wouldn't say they're a uh, carrier oil, are they? I have a funny story about the importance of carriers, but um, alcohol and oil. So some perfumes are based on alcohol, some perfumes are based on oil. Could you describe a little bit those different mediums and how how they affect the fragrance too? Okay. So traditionally during history, perfumes were made in oil. Uh, there were maceration of plants in different vegetable oils, depending on where you came from. And after the invasion of the Alambic and the distiller, we started making alcohol and then making perfume into alcohol. So that's a more modern way to do it. Yeah. What's the difference? Uh, how the molecules evaporate? So the oil is more compatible with the essential oils and even synthetic uh, molecules. So they grab it. They make it harder to evaporate. So the perfume is less fresh. Yeah, but it's more long-lasting because it grabs the perfume. It's something that usually we like, or I I like, at least to use for oriental perfume, wood-based perfume, sandalwood because it really makes the perfume more long-lasting, more base, not. Yeah, and then you have the alcohol perfume, which are the classic ones, and they really help to make it pop, fresh, fizzy. Even sometimes you have this fizziness coming through, and. That's because of the alcohol, but you make exactly the same formula into oil, you will not have this freshness. Also, alcohol is not bad in per se because it's very, it evaporates very fast. So you have the perfume and then you already have the extract of it on your skin. I think a lot of people have actually, I don't know what's your perception of this, me coming to with new eyes to this industry is a lot of people seem to choose alcohol. And people seem to have a preference on alcohol because uh, for listeners out there, you know, my background is working with the uh, Lush ethical procurement team. And now I work at one of the stores, helping to manage one of their stores. And I often find myself more attracted to recommending the oil-based perfumes because I have a, arguably a very small beard, not 
in comparison to Eleanor's partner who has a glorious beard. Mine is pretty terrible. <laughs> Mine's more of a shadow or um and you know, I, I like to rub up on my face, but the other day and I hope this will lead on to I wanna ask Eleanor a question about carriers and their dilution and their importance for the structure of perfume. Because I rubbed copious amount of Australian sandalwood oil directly into my face and proceeded to feel quite strange later in the day and maybe it wasn't the oil I'm not sure but we have a show here in the UK and you might have seen Eleanor it's called the IT crowd and there's an episode where there it's a comedy and they're at a funeral and this guy they've been looking at this death clock website that shows you when you might die and at the exact moment his mobile phone rings and it's on a really high vibration setting and he starts screaming and he's going, somebody call me a fucking ambulance, I'm dying. Somebody call an ambulance. And this was me in the middle of a supermarket here in the UK because I was with family and I was clutching my chest and I was going, oh my gosh, I'm dying, I'm dying. Somebody call an ambulance, please, (laughs) please. And um, I thought I was having a fucking heart attack. And I looked up and I thought to myself, because I used a derma roller, you know, uh, with the sandalwood oil and I hadn't diluted it, I started to Google things as we all do. And then all of a sudden, I think I'm having some kind of heart attack. And online it was saying that you have to dilute oils. And of course, natural oils, as Eleanor has said already, are very, very potent. They have a potency in which that provides uh, topical uses and benefits to people. Same as it does with our sense of smell. It can uplift us and ground us etc but yeah a bit of a tangent there sorry but to bring it full circle Eleanor can you describe a little bit about carrier oils in essential oils because I know they're not necessarily used in perfumery but it's regarding the structure I thought it was we could have mentioned that in there about the carrier oils okay so first thing People usually think that essential oils are something like a light medicine, something very soft, you can use whatever you want and you don't really care. They're from plants, they're naturally good. No, be careful. (laughs) (laughs) For example, it's as simple as, for example, putting peppermint on a child uh, younger than six years old. It can die from it. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And I I have a two-year-old niece, a a two-year-old nephew, sorry, and a five-year-old nephew and yeah uh, my sister's gonna be watching this like i'm gonna fucking kill you why can you forget (laughs) yeah they are yeah they are very strong they're very concentrated and they can be dangerous some of them are democaustic that means they can hurt your skin and some of them are dangerous for asthmatic people but we gave them to them anyway so you have to be careful with essential oils and that's the point also of the perfumer you have to know your ingredients, you have to know your raw materials. Absolutely. And there are some very strict and precise rules, at least in Europe, of how you can use a raw material. Yeah. It's not just you mix things that smell good together and you have something wonderful. No, you have to be careful. Yeah. And mixing the essential oils, which are the product of a distillation, with vegetable oil, which are product product of pressing some fatty ingredients like olive oil, almond oil for example, they are very good carriers Uh, diluting them you can have the smell and you can have the benefits of them without the danger and that's the main point usually 
the vegetable oils we don't really use them for the smell more for the effect of the neutrality of them so for example the one in perfume is the jojoba oil it's very neutral very good for the skin very dry feeling you don't really have any problem and it's very good diluent for the essential oils and then you can mix whatever you want with it <laughs> and yeah wonderful i think that's really important to say thank you because we we know from conversations me and you have had too these things aren't necessarily always on the label and it's very much the point of this podcast too with the themes of mm. you know traceability and and sustainability we're going to have a guest on that we're going to have an episode speaking about that specifically with traceability it can be really hard right you could be putting something on your skin in which you don't know exactly what is in it and mm. it's something that i look for in brands is what's listed on the back we know that not everything can always be put on there because that's when formulations can be copied. Yeah. But I think it's a, a really good thing to bring up. Thank you. As far as the top note, the heart note and the bass notes go, I just mm. want to ask you, what are your favorites usually? Like, do you have any particular raw materials that you're like, yes, I, I, that's my go-to. I like that. Oh, I can put labdanum everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, me, me and Alexander love labdanum. I can put labdanum everywhere. I also really, really love frankincense, yeah. Oman frankincense. If I have to choose a flower, I really like osmanthus because you can really work a very beautiful leather with it. I love osmanthus so much. As a top note, usually CO2 ginger with frankincense is quite beautiful. <laughs> so you've just mentioned that by chance. How does the CO2 of... Uh of a raw material work. Okay, so you have different kinds of extractions. Yeah. So you have the normal distillation with water. So you make boiled water, it goes through a plant and you extract the essential oil from it. Then you have the absolutes where you use a solvent. So you have different molecules because the volatility of the solvent is not the same. Yeah. And then you have CO2. So it's super critical CO2 extraction. So you transform CO2 gas into liquid and you really... Uh, take everything from the plant with it. And you have a very distinct and different smell rather with the essential oil. For me, the ginger normal essential oil with water really have a kind of a pickled kind of smell, like the ginger you eat with sushis. Mm. Rather than the CO2 is really like the fresh grated root and is a lot more potent in my opinion. Thank you. So you feel that the methods of extraction can actually have an impact on the raw material too mm. and the profile and they do yeah. they absolutely do yeah they you don't have the same smell this with the essential essential oil of rose and with the absolute of rose you is not the same smell at all the essential oil of rose they have a very distinct smell of artichoke and the absolute is a lot more uh, powdery talk sweet even and people really recognize the rose the commercial rose in the absolute, while in the essence they are often quite uh, surprised they don't smell the rose as they think it will be. Thank you for explaining that. It's interesting to know that even the extraction methods can affect the scent profile of these materials. Mm. And that brings us on to a new segment which we have in Fuming, which is called Tried and Tested. So... As part of Infuming, we want listeners to take away something, how they can learn more about the fragrance pyramid for themselves, look at the fragrance groups. Eleanor, how can somebody who's listening to the podcast learn more about the development of a fragrance from the top 
to the heart, to the base of the perfume. Okay, so the first thing usually people do, and it's a big mistake, is that they don't smell the perfume on their skins. Your own skin have a very distinct chemical interaction with the perfume. The pH, your own smell, your hormones, what you eat, everything. So it will not make a huge change on the perfume, but it will change it. And sometimes you like it on paper, on the bloaters, but you don't like it on you. And that's okay, you just have to find something else, I guess. And also something perfumers we do, and that's the base of our job, it to smell, 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 keep smelling during the day. You spray the perfume on your skin or on a paper, and you smell it, you smell the top note, the heart note and the base note, you have to keep smelling so you discover every aspect of the perfume. Because just buying a perfume, spraying it, oh, I like it, I'll buy it, and then at home you say, oh, what's what's that? No, please, God, no. That's I screwed up. Yeah, that usually happens. And you can avoid it, just smelling the perfume during the day. And really, ask for a sample. Usually they say, oh, no, I don't want to, but yeah, ask for a sample and try it on your skin, try it in your house, try it after the shower, before the shower, whatever. You have to know the perfume and be sure that you like it. That's the main mistake. Usually you smell it, you buy it, and you don't test it again. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Please grab grab that blotter paper and, and have a good go. You know, it, it saves you getting home. I mean, sometimes it can be quite difficult, can't it, asking for samples, and, and you know you know the sales advisor's like, I oh, this fucking guy. Like my first experience of Paris when I went and I would I would walk in. I mean, one of my friends works there and I became very good friends with her through Alexander on the podcast. But <laughs> you could tell the whole team would be like, this fucking guy, he's been in <laughs> three days now. Just buy one already. And I'd be like, yeah, I really like this one. You know, it, it's 400 euros, but I really like this one. But yeah, thank you. That's that's really useful. Usually when you say that it's for your boyfriend or girlfriend or for a friend, they give you a sample more, they're less reluctant to give you something. Yeah. And it's a, it's kind of like an investment, isn't it, samples? I know when I start to do my own fragrances, I'll be, maybe I'll think differently and I'll really want, uh, <laughs> I really want people invested before I give them mm. away. But um, yeah, thank you for that. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen, tried and tested from Eleanor herself. And the next bit, we were very excited about this part. Um, Eleanor came up with a genius idea of this segment. I've actually called it defluffed. So, <laughs> as we know, in the fragrance industry, from my perception so far, um, through my mentor, Simon Constantine, the, uh, he was the head perfumer for Lush Cosmetics. He now runs his own brand of fragrances called And Fragrance. I definitely recommend following him on uh, Instagram and Twitter. But Simon used to say, uh, you know, there's a lot of bollocks in perfume, Reese. I, d- I don't want to be involved with this. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, I will then. I- I'd love to do that. Um, and of course, not everything involves the fluffing or, you know, th- there is sometimes fluff. There is bollocks, you know, for the sake of selling a particular fragrance and such. So what we're here to do in this segment is defluff that stuff. So the thing we're defluffing this week is... Do coffee beans reset your scent palette? And oh, I can, you can't see that Eleanor's face is, you know, <laughs> curling in disgust as we speak. And the answer is no, no, they, they fucking don't. And here's why. Do you, do you want to take it away, Eleanor? Okay, so usually when you go to buy a perfume, if you are not a trained perfumer or whatever, 
you will your nose will be dead after three, four, five, six perfumes. And that's normal. That's just your nose getting full of molecules and you have to cleanse it. The problem is they give you coffee to cleanse it. And coffee doesn't clean your nose. It just makes a fake contrast. To understand that, you have to know that the nose, it's an organ that works by contrast. Contrast to what? From your own body odor to the rest of the world. The nose was just made. It works in a way to defend yourself from the, from the danger. That's why when you smell something bad, you go away from it. And coffee doesn't really work. It just makes a fake sensation of cleanness. And you smell the next perfume, but you don't really smell it with a clean palette, in a way. <laughs> So what you have to do is, and Reese does it too, you have to smell yourself. It sounds weird, but you have to smell yourself. And that's the only way you can have a clean nose. Go outside, go for a walk for five minutes, go back to the shop and smell again. But please don't smell coffee. It's total bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I met a wonderful perfumer in Los Angeles. I'm throwing so many handles and hooks here. People are gonna, These perfumers are going to be listening like, thank you, man. But there's some really talented people. In fact, she's going to be on the podcast soon. Her name's Kedra Hart of Opus Oils and um, very talented perfumer. And she said to me about coffee beans. But then there was a conflicting opinion from another perfumer, uh, Nick Stewart of Galavant Perfumes. And he was kind of like, no, 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 that's bullshit. No, you you don't do that. And uh, Nick wore a scarf. And he said, you know, you're better to smell, smell your scarf or smell your skin, which carries your own fragrance. So... It's, you know, defluffed. And if you sat there listening to this thinking, no, 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 I I smell coffee beans and I know what I know. That's fair enough. That's okay. But being the academic human I am, I actually found a, an academic journal by um, Dr. Alexis Grozowski of uh, Wisconsin College of Beloit in the psychology department. She defluffed the whole coffee thing. And I'll link it somewhere in the podcast for you guys to have a read of. Um, But she found out that through a trial of so many different students in which they had, they offered them, I believe it was three different fragrances. It was lemon, coffee and water. Yes, lemon, coffee and water. Thank you, Eleanor. And they they would sniff this and then see if after another sniff it was any different. But the profiles of the scent they described didn't seem to change. But... You know, and that that's fine to do that if you are somebody that goes to these perfumers and smells the coffee beans and is told that that's okay. I mean, when I worked for Lush many a year ago, I was a sales advisor and Lush do a, a coffee face mask and I would grab this ground down coffee face mask and I would say, there's only three things that resets the nasal palate and that's coffee beans, jet fuel and salmon. <laughs> and I, I don't know where the fuck I read this. I, and I used to um, hand this cup of coffee face masks for customers to smell and they go yeah yeah that's that's a lot better actually it creates a contrast effect yeah it kind of work but it's not the true smell so just try smelling with coffee and try smelling yourself you will see a huge difference in the result of the perfume you're smelling exactly there you go you can try that with your tried and tested when you're trying fragrance pyramid on the paper i got it wrong for a very long time for many years until i became friends with lots of lovely perfumers uh so this olfactory habituation you were describing your nose will get used to that fragrance but yeah do you know we've actually covered so much in a very short space of time and i really want to round off the podcast with putting Eleanor on the spot and I wanted to talk a little bit about the courses that she offers because she offers the online courses in perfumery yeah. too. 
I only know Eleanor through Instagram. I do hope we get to meet in person one day when this pandemic is over. But she's a very talented perfumer and an incredibly funny individual as well <laughs> with you. very funny cats. We send each other cat videos and gifts. It's fantastic. And yeah, would you like to talk a bit, a little bit about your course, Eleanor? Okay, so I launched my small company of online classes. Well, online for the moment because, yeah, the pandemic, you know. Uh, so I offer three different classes where I can, for the first one, it's like a more introductory class for people that really don't know anything, with theory like the olfactive pyramid, history of perfumes, etc. Then I have another one a little bit more for hobbyists where I can give more, a more personalized class with raw materials, any question you really have. And the third one is more for people that have already raw materials at home with like more formulation concerning and is, with all the rest, of course, like the theory, the perfume course, and also I'm work. I'm starting to work with a lab where they can send some raw materials. So maybe working together for a formulation, your own perfume, your own bespoke perfume. So yeah, that's why I'm doing in in all natural and also in renewable ingredients. Wonderful, and that word there too is very important. Renewable, yeah. but we'll get into that <laughs> another time. Thank you so much, Eleanor. And you can follow us on Instagram. What's your Instagram hook? So it's Eleyo, so E-L-E-Y-O 30. And you can also find me on Twitter on Eleanor P. And yeah, you can follow me if you want to. Fantastic. And thank you so much for your time and for your talent. Thank you, Riz. And I'm really looking forward to hanging out when this is all over. But thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Fuming. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So get out there, go try some perfumes on paper. I, I think the stores are open over here. Yeah, yeah, you can go, you can still go out there and yeah, they're starting to to open. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of brands propose samples now online because people can go, so they send them online too. So just ask for samples online. It's okay. There you go. It's fun. And then, then you don't have the social awkwardness, you know, you can just get them online. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for listening, everyone, and enjoy the rest of your day.